This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Mark chapter 2. And one of the things we do in the life of C3 is when we read the passage of Scripture, we stand in honor to the Word of God. And that's just out of reverence to the Word of God. Way back in the day, I used to do this, and we started doing it again a few months ago. It's just something I really felt God saying, hey, do that again. Just a way to show respect, a way to honor. But also, I understand maybe you're here today, and maybe you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you'd say, man, I don't know that I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I want you to know you're welcome here. But it's not surprising to you that we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And so just as a sign of honor and respect and recognizing that for us, the Bible is the foundation to everything we do in life. It is our final authority as the living, active, breathing Word of God. And so Mark chapter 2, verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up. And followed him. Father, may your spirit use your word in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. In 1930, John Keenis wrote in his work, Our Grandparents, that by the time you and I are alive, by by today, he wrote that it was estimated by social psychologists and economists that we would work an average of three hours a day now. (laughs) He wrote that in 1930. And he thought because of the advancements economically and technologically that life would be so honed down and so precise and, and everything, so many things would be so automated that we would work about three hours a day. Now, we do work on average 12 hours a week less than they worked in 1930, but we are busier. In fact, there is a pace of busyness, not just in our lives, but in our emotions, mental busyness, the the urgency that we we feel, That, that feeling when you wake up in the morning and you wake up exhausted, you're already overwhelmed. It's not just the to-do list on paper. It's the unending list in your mind that you replay and think about over and over again of all the things you've got to do. They were worried in 1930 that because we would only work three hours a day that we would be consumed with boredom. And yet, I think there is a lot of boredom. I think we are the busiest bored people and the most boring, busy people that have ever lived on planet Earth. And we don't like boring. We don't like bored. The go-to is grab the phone, click on the TV. Like, we, we want to be occupied and consumed, and we, we don't like having nothing to do in our minds. And as a result, we're often running the marathon of life at the pace of a sprint. And more than ever before, people are worn out, exhausted, emotionally spent. And one of the most common things you hear is people say, I I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. And you add to all of that in in our schedules that feel rushed and our emotions that are busy, the, the feeling that there's never enough time, you add to all of that, we're about to go into the holidays. 
And in the holidays, it goes to a whole other level. Day to day, you wake up and you think about everything that has to be accomplished that day. And if you have kids, you've got to get them to school or wherever they're going. Or if you homeschool, whatever you're doing, you've got an agenda with the kids. And then you rush the day. And it feels like just as you're starting to kind of get into the pace, oh, I've got to go pick them up or I've got to get to that meeting or I've got that lunch appointment. And we get them from school and then they've got to go to soccer and baseball and ballet and gymnastics. And that's just one kid. And then we've got to get them. Everywhere they've got to go, and they've got three or four practices a week, and then we've got games on Saturday, and we are spent, and then we look around at all the stuff in the house that's supposed to be done. Remember when you moved in, and that baseboard in the corner was kind of messed up, and you thought, I'm going to fix that, and now you don't even see it anymore. But emotionally, it's on your mind. All the things that are supposed to be done, we are insanely busy. We're rushing to provide financially. We're rushing to provide opportunity. We're rushing to provide stability. We're rushing to provide what we call success. And in the chase of all of that, the thing that we need, the thing that we want the most, keeps eluding us. It's peace. It is impossible to live at the address of rushing and insane busyness at the same time with peace. I remember a few years ago, it was the week of Christmas, a few days before Christmas, and and for some moronic reason, I decided I needed to go to Waterford. And, And I remember, like Waterford, you don't go there the week of Christmas because everybody goes there the week of Christmas. And I remember as I turned on to Alifea, for some reason, the road department had decided to do construction that week on Alifea, the week the week of Christmas, like I wanted to kill somebody. That, that already puts it over the edge, but now you, you've got to make sure you get all the gifts, and this year you better get them early because, remember, we're told that there's a shortage, and if you wait until the last minute, you might not be able to get that little thing that they want, and so you've got to, you've got to hurry up. How many of you are already done with your Christmas shopping? See, you're way behind. Like, you're in trouble. You're probably not going to get most of what you want. <laughs> but but we, we, feel, we feel that pressure, and it just adds, and it adds because we are so flipping busy. But what I will tell you, as a father of four kids that are grown, parents, you're going to blink and the years are gone. And my question is, in in all of our busyness, what are we accomplishing? Is the pace of your life, our pace emotionally and mentally, Has it made your marriage better? Has it enhanced or improved your parenting? Do you you have healthy relationships because you live a life where you you just can't get it all done? We're busy. But the question is, are are you too busy for what matters most? Because sometimes life can feel like we're on the, the treadmill and the Peloton and the Stairmaster all at the same time while carrying a baby and tossing a ball with our kids and having a conversation with our spouse and changing the oil in the car all at the same time. That's what life can feel like. It's not just the pace of our day, but it's the state of our minds. We're overwhelmed. We're more anxious than ever before. The pressure of everything we're supposed to accomplish and everything we're supposed to be and what we put on ourselves and what we assume other people are putting on us. How can we make a few more things happen? How can we add a few hours to each day? We were in Texas recently, and on the way back, we stopped at a rest area. And I went in the restroom, and I recognize that there are, um, 
there are some sounds you hear in the restroom that you should only hear in the restroom. You know what I'm talking about? At the same time, while my man is sitting on the throne, he's talking on his phone. A business call. Like, and, and I'm thinking, you don't think they hear that? Uh, the whole world just heard that. Like, we, we are trying to multitask in every way possible. And before you laugh at that guy, don't act like you don't take your phone to your restroom. I mean, it's at home, so you feel like it's safe and clean, but that's nasty. But we just, oh, I can finish this email, or i got to send this text, or I've got to look at this thing, or I'm bored. I can't just sit here. i got to be looking at something while I'm sitting here. It's just how we live. And as we rush through life, we're not even accomplishing everything we want to. It can almost feel like we're rushing from disappointment to disappointment. It's never enough. And that's not life. That's not the life we were intended to live. So I want to ask you a question that I'd, I'd like to invite you to think about today. Later today, think about throughout this week, a question that I've been asking myself. I read this question earlier this week, and I thought, that question, here it is. Could it be that the life that you're living is the greatest enemy to the life that you want? Could it be that the life you're living is actually the greatest enemy to the life that you want. We've somehow confused busyness with effectiveness. Somehow we think if I'm busy, I'm making something happen. And I know you're busy. I'm not minimizing that. I know you have places to be and bills to pay and you have a house to clean and kids to raise and dinner to provide and and clothes to buy and to clean. And uh, over the last few years, you've started taking photos to try to uh, capture some of those moments. And some of the busyness is involved in trying to figure out what captions to write with the photos that you, you need to put up. And at that pace and all that, there's, there's really no time for dinner with the family. There's no time for meaningful conversations with close friends. And, and resting and reflecting and, and reading and seeking God, there's just no time. You don't have it and I don't have it. But there are other things we also don't have, like peace, or a sense of purpose, or confidence, or hopefulness. Because we, we don't think we have time to feed the things that make the most important things grow in our lives. Dr. Gary Roseberg, a leading psychologist, said that the pace that we are living, the, the rush and the busyness of our lives has resulted in some tangible things about human society in our time. Those things are we feel more negative than people have ever felt on planet Earth. We're more pessimistic about the details of life. We are more easily irritated. Have you ever thought about the fact, the way people drive, the way people respond on social media, it, it feels like everybody's on the edge of angry all the time. Highly irritated and takes the least little thing to push us over and we're ready to launch World War III. You put on Instagram, I love dogs, and somebody will come in, why do you hate cats? I mean, everybody's just on the edge all the time. We're more easily irritated. We don't sleep as well. And I think one of the greatest tragedies Dr. Rosenberg's research showed, we're too worn out to feel thankful. It's hard to feel thankful when you're exhausted. So what if the life that you're living is the greatest obstacle to the life that you want? 
Jesus' ministry lasted only three years. But in that three years, he put a team together of 12 disciples, and he taught them how to live, not just in his words, but in his actions. And he did it all while enduring more hatred than anyone will ever experience. While being tempted in every possible way, every day, in all the ways that you and I are tempted. All while healing sick people and raising dead people and loving hurting people and preaching sermons and fulfilling 351 specific miracles from the Old Testament prophecies. You look at the life of Jesus. If anybody had a right to be exhausted, there were moments he was tired. There there are places in the Gospels you read that the people were crowding around him and he was tired. So he went somewhere else just to try to catch a little break, but people showed up there. It's interesting to me, people... average, ordinary, everyday people like you and me were drawn to Jesus. There was something about him. They were just compelled to be around him. So it makes me ask the question, if people are drawn to Jesus, why are they not drawn to his church? Because maybe they see a busyness in us that looks nothing like how he lived. Because the thing about Jesus, you can scan every page in the Bible. You can study the Gospels and memorize every verse. Jesus never ever ran. I knew it was bad for you. I knew it was bad for you. I knew you weren't supposed to run. (laughs) Jesus never ran. Not even once. You don't find one occasion where he's like, oh, snap, I got to go. Like, there's never that moment. He was sunrise to sunset busy, but he never ran. We don't read anywhere of a conversation of Peter, shut up, you talk too much. I got to go. You're running your mouth all the time. You're slowing me down. I, I'm too stressed to listen to you babble on. I, I, I got to go. We, we don't read guys. We don't read anywhere. Guys, we're behind schedule. We, we got to hurry this up. We got to make the most of our time. Thomas is late again. We're leaving him. You, you don't find that anywhere. Jesus never ran. Not once. Years ago, when we first started C3, we were meeting at the theaters in Waterford. And one of the guys on our board, Dr. Claude Thomas, a mentor in my life, He's approaching 80 years old, incredible guy. He's going to be here in a few weeks for a day, spending some time thinking about the future. He served on our board. And just a brilliant man, pastored churches of thousands. He came and he observed for a Sunday. And the biggest takeaway, he looked me right in the face and he said, listen, you need to slow down when you walk around the church. You need to walk in a way that people know they matter. And it made me think, I wonder how many times in life, at church, or in our homes, or at the office place, we're in such a hurry, we walk by people that matter, trying to accomplish something that doesn't matter as much. Jesus never ran. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me. Follow me. Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. If we're invited to follow an unrushed Jesus, shouldn't we be living unrushed lives? It's a constant reminder. The reality of this verse, if we're always rushed, if we're always stressed, if we're always overwhelmed, if we're always exhausted and and trying to get it all done and never accomplishing everything we need to get done, maybe, maybe I'm running ahead of Jesus or maybe I'm running in a completely different direction. 
Christ followers implies that we follow Jesus. And it's not just the pace of what we do in life. It's the emotional pace. It's the mental pace. It's the relational pace of we are so hurried. Hurry up and get things accomplished this weekend. Hurry up and get through Monday so we can get to the weekend. And hurry up and get through these weekends so we can get to the holidays. And hurry up and get through the holidays so we can get to next semester. And hurry up and get to May so we can graduate. And hurry up and get to the summer so we can go on vacation. And and hurry up and get to the fall because, oh, we love the fall in Florida. The weather's a little bit better. And and hurry up and and get to the next thing, the next birthday, the next event. And we spend so much time hurrying up to get to the next thing that we rarely experience this thing. And we teach our kids a pace that is unsustainable. We teach our families and set a legacy in place of running instead of walking. And if that's you, notice what Jesus invites you to do. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. Do you need to recover your life? Or do you need to find a life that you've not known yet? I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Could it be that the greatest clutter in your home is not the garage or the closet, but it's your mind? It's your emotions. What is so clogged up and cluttered in how you process life that you don't even recognize it anymore? You're just in a constant state of hurry up. You're in a constant state of rush. But when we follow Jesus authentically, we hush the rush. He says, get away with me if if you want to recover your life. See, busyness is the thief of peace. Rushing is the thief of joy. And Jesus is saying, walk with me. Watch how I do it. Watch how I do life. Don't just believe what I believe. Live how I live. And if anyone should have ever felt rushed, or panicked, or a sense of urgency about how little time there was, it would have been Jesus. He's been given the purpose of reaching and changing and saving the entire world and launching a worldwide impact and movement that would last for generations, a timeless revolution and ministry. And he waits 30 years to even start it. No one knows him. He's baptized, and then he's ready to save the world. And yet, first he spends 40 days alone with God. His first miracle, Jesus wasn't too big or too busy for them. He he didn't pull, hey, I'm the SOG, I got to bounce, I can't stay at the wedding very long. He was there until almost the end when they ran out of wine so that he could turn the water to wine. He wasn't so rushed that he had to check his watch and get out as quick as he could because he had other more important things to do. When the leader Jairus' daughter was dying, Jesus did not run to their home to save her. He walked. And on the way, he's stopped by a woman who's been sick for 12 years, and he heals her. And they get word that, hey, the little girl has died. And even in that urgency and the brokenness of the father's face, he doesn't get overly stressed. 
And instead of running, he simply says, don't worry. Don't worry. And think about this. His mode of transportation, Jesus, the Son of God, could have chosen any animal, a thoroughbred racehorse. It's it's the Son of God. No, Jesus chooses an animal that does not run, that only walks a donkey. Nobody's at the tracks betting on donkeys. He picks an animal. And everything, the pace of how Jesus moved through this world was an unrushed, unhurried pace. And as followers of Jesus, we run ahead of it. So if you and I are followers of Jesus, and Jesus was never rushed, why are we? Why do we spend our lives running instead of walking? Our days, our weeks, our relationships, our careers, they're all often defined by what we're running from or running to. Part of the reason we run may be that we spend a lot of time running from our past. We spend a lot of time running from our failures. We spend a lot of time running from our insecurities, our hurt, our abuses. We spend time running to our relationships. We run to our marriages. We run to our successes. We run to our money. We run, we run, we sprint to our likes and follows. And we're so busy running that we don't even notice that what we're chasing is leaving us empty. What if the life you're living is the greatest enemy to the life you want? Now, I understand that I don't understand. I get that I don't know your specific pressures. And if if you could come on this platform and share your story, many of you, and what you're walking through and all that you're having to process and everything that you're having to deal with, we would all agree, man, that's insane. That that feels impossible. Like like we, we would get that it is just an unbelievable reality you're living in, your pressure, your stress, your deadlines. I know that I don't know. But here's what I do know. Do know. The answer is not more time. If I had a dime for every time somebody said, I just, I just need a little more time. I need a few more hours in the day. Do you understand you have the same amount of time in every single day that Steve Jobs had? You have the same amount of time in every day that the President of the United States, the Governor of the State of Florida, you have the same amount of time in every single day that the most successful people in life have. Same amount of minutes, same amount of seconds, same amount of hours, same amount of time. The answer is not more time. The answer is more of what matters most. More of what matters most. The reason you don't have time for more of what matters most is that without even thinking about it, you're spending time on what matters less. Studies have been done, and in the United States, the average person spends 706 hours a year on social media. 706 hours a year. I wonder how much of that time is trying to get the shot where you don't have three chins. I mean, we we spend so much time, and it's not so much perusing what other people do. It's what I'm going to put up and how it makes me look and which picture is good. And, oh, i got to filter the lighting. 706 hours a year on social media. Social media is not a bad thing. But often we've made it the main thing. 706 hours a year. The average person spends 2,737 hours a year 
watching new trending shows or streaming shows. 2,737 hours a year. Not bad things. I enjoy watching a good show. But 2,737 hours a year? Now, this one, this one got me. The average guy, ladies, you can breathe a sigh of relief. The average guy, by the time he's 21 years old, has spent 10,000 hours gaming. 10,000 hours online playing cartoon games. 10,000 hours. What could you do with 10,000 hours? At $10 an hour for 10 years, you could make $100,000. You could read in 10,000 hours, you could read 2,000 books. In 10,000 hours, you could become a concert pianist. In 10,000 hours, you could get a pilot's license easily. In 10,000 hours, you could memorize the entire New Testament. In 10,000 hours, you could earn an undergraduate and a graduate degree. In 10,000 hours, you could rebuild your marriage, reconcile your family, and raise strong kids. Or, or, you can mindlessly waste your life on things that don't matter at all. Now listen, I'm not down on video games. I don't get into the sci-fi stuff. That's not my personality. But uh, the NFL Madden, I'll play that game occasionally. I don't have an Xbox because I don't want one, which is good because Angie doesn't allow it. But, uh, but every now and then I'll get on with the kids and I'll, I'll play a football game. Listen, I'm, I'm not down on that. It's just we have something in our human condition where we take what shouldn't matter at all and we worship at the altar of that thing rather than worshiping our Savior. And we invest so much time in stuff that is not going to help us be better. 10,000 hours, 2,737 hours, 706 hours are not going to make you who you want to be in life. It's not going to happen. What if the life you're living is the greatest enemy of the life you want? So what do I do? Well, stop trying to figure out what to stop doing and figure out what you need to start doing. And what you need to start doing is slow down. Slow down. I read a prayer this week, and I've begun praying this prayer. And I want to encourage you today, tomorrow, Tuesday, throughout the week, I want to encourage you. You might want to jot this down on your phone. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer for seven days and see what God does. Just pray this prayer. When your eyes open in the morning, rather than jumping into everything you got to do, rather than grabbing your phone to look at what everybody else do, is doing, pray this prayer just, just for seven days. Here's the prayer. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. To do that, I've got to be present in every moment. I've got to be able to listen to people. And you don't listen to people when you're in a rush. But when you listen to people, you see needs. I've got to walk toward what's important and eliminate what's not. I've got to say no to what doesn't matter so I can say yes to what does matter. And there are stages of life that are more complicated. Parents, when you, when you have kids that are little... The, the pace seems overwhelming. What I can tell you is the physical pace changes as your kids get older, but the emotional pace does not. And no matter how old your kids are, they could be grown. They could be living their own lives and, 
happy marriage, successful, but th- th- there's still that parent part of you that there's no switch to turn off. But what I can tell you, in the days when the kids are really little, and you feel like, man, I, I, my life is just consumed with this, and I, I, I wanted to go to that yoga class, but I had to say no because I can't because the kids' schedules, and I, I, I wanted to do all these other things, but I can't do that because of the kids. Listen, you've got to remember, a no now doesn't mean a no forever. But there's incredible power in what you say no to. We have always had a pace in our home that I'm home. I'll, I'll be out of the house no more than two nights a week for meetings as a pastor. Other people have needs. Things, but the other five nights, I'm at home. I'm with my bride. I'm with my kids. If they choose to be home <laughs> as they get older, that happens less. But, but, but I'm with my bride because here's the thing. I'm going to say no to some things so I can say yes to the best things. What do you need to say no to? One time, one time I talked about this subject. I'll never forget it. Two people that day said, I feel like God spoke to me. I got to stop serving. I got to stop serving at church. I, whew, God spoke to me. <laughs> no, no, no. Let, let me just help you. I didn't know I needed to break this down, but apparently I do. We say yes to what matters most. Some of you, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so, I talk to college, college students. You just think you're busy. You don't know busy yet, I promise. You think, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so, I don't know how I'm going to get all done. Yeah, you're busy, but, but I, I wonder, what would happen if you spent more time building the local church than diving into every ministry on campus that you say you want to be a part of? Are you building your kingdom or God's kingdom? Oh, it's a ministry. I'm not down on school ministries, but, but listen, you, you can't show me chapter and verse where the local church takes second place. Oh, my schedule's busy and I got the kids. They got to go. You, do you know how many people, how many parents have called me over the years? You got to help my kids in a crisis. Well, I'll do everything I can and we'll do everything we can. But instead of 15 baseball games a week, church might have been a great thing. I can't fix in five minutes what you developed over five years because you didn't live a priority of what matters most. And I just love you enough to tell you the truth. Like, even if you're mad at me, you know what? You know what's going to happen if you're mad at me? I'm going to take a little baby aspirin tonight and sleep just fine. Because the reality is, if you're mad at me, I'm not mad at you. I love you. But, but I care about your future. And I, I get a front row seat to lives crashing all the time. And I've noticed a pattern. And part of the pattern, one of the contributing factors is we spend so much time chasing what will not matter in 100 years or even one year. And we don't prioritize our lives with what matters most. Not not out of some religious obligation, not checking off a list, not, oh, I've got a list of things I've got to do. No, the Word of God is clear. These things are helpful. God, who invented life, created life, tells us exactly how to live it. What matters most is the time I spend with him every day. What matters most is loving him and loving others. What matters most is the hope of the world is the local church. What matters most is that I set a legacy in place of prioritizing church over any other activity in life. That's what matters. You can like it or not like it, but listen, the level to which you're offended has nothing to do with how true what I just said is. And so you've got to decide. What are the things that I need to tweak and change? Every single person Jesus loved. Every single miracle Jesus did. He did as he walked. And the Bible says he's coming back, and when he comes back, he's coming back for the church. So stop running. Start walking. 
and you'll enjoy life more. And those who love you, they will enjoy you more. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the reality of your deep abiding love. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're in this room and there's a still small voice inside you and you know the thing that you need the most is to know God in a personal way. Today, right now, this morning, you you need to give your life to Jesus so the Spirit of God can live in your life and give you wisdom and help you walk through a busy, stressful life, give you wisdom to know what to say no to and what to say yes to. If that's where you are, I'd love to lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of this moment. If you'd like to give your life to Jesus today and begin a brand new life, knowing God in a personal way, just pray this prayer. Just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. And help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you look at me a second? If you just prayed that prayer, I'd love to know that. I want to invite you to grab your cell phone and just shoot me a text. Just put your first name and send it to 407-487-8311. The reason I ask you to do that is I'll get that list of names this afternoon, and I'll be able to pray for you by name today and throughout this week, and I would love to do that because, see, at C3, you really do matter. Your future is our focus. So I'd love to be praying for you. If you pray to me, just, just put your first name, shoot me a text. I'd also like to send you a free gift because you matter to us. And so we'll connect back with you and get the info and the details on where to send that. I would love to get